0: This podcast is sponsored by Wakunaga of America, makers of Kyolic Aged Garlic Extract, Kyodophilus Probiotics, and Green Powdered Drink Mix, all natural, healthy solutions to support your whole body well-being. Try their new Kyodophilus Pro Plus Symbiotic, prebiotic and probiotics together for better gut health. Kyo means strength. Live a Kyo life. on to the show. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. Oh, God, you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. Who anxiety. That is a tough one. Uh, you know, I, I do tend to share a lot of stories on the show about my family. And I don't want, you know, people are like, oh, boy, here she goes again. But I do live with somebody with anxiety. I'll put it that way. And it can be very challenging. So I read the book. I love the book. I'm going to read it with this person, and I can't wait. It is the Anxiety Sisters Survival Guide, how you can become more hopeful, connected, and happy. Joining us now are the fantastic Abby Greenberg and Maggie Saracek. Hello.
1: Hi. Hi! We're so glad to be here.
0: I'm so glad to have you on. I mean, this book was incredible. The way that you wove in vignettes brought everything you're talking about to life, even more than it already did, just in the way you describe things. First of all, how did you two come together?
2: Well, we met in college, actually, and um I think you would have called us. Now I think we would have been called highly sensitive, <laughs> young woman. Um, that that phrase um, and and very empathic. And you know I think we were also struggling with anxiety and recognized these qualities in each other and became quite close friends. And then we graduated college and we both found ourselves really struggling with anxiety to the point where each of us was debilitated at various times, completely debilitated. And, um, so we had this, what we like to call the decade of our is where we would go anywhere, do anything, pay anybody that would, offer us a glimmer of hope. So we went to the nutritionist, the therapist, the acupuncturist, the hypnotist, the past life regressionist. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you would take our money and you were an ist, we were there. Um, so we were we were trying to feel better from, from our anxiety. And um, what we found after Uh, a lot of time was that the thing that was most healing and helpful was really our connection with each other. So it was the idea that we could call each other and say, I'm having this symptom and someone else would, and then, you know, we would say, Oh, Oh yeah, me too. Or I understand, or don't worry. And, and you'd have someone else who's nonjudgmental and compassionate talking, talking to us. And so, you know as we started to put little pieces together, we were able to focus more a little bit more in our careers. And I became uh, I went to school and became and got a master's in social work. Abby became a professor of communications. and so I was working as a counselor in the high school and she was working with college kids. but um, we started being able to look at some of the scientific research and translating it into more accessible, terms and we also found that really helpful things like little bits of neuroscience and oh yeah um we found it really helpful in understanding ourselves um and then there was this, what I call like our fateful uh, bus story. But Abby, you tell that story because you're better at it, okay?
1: <laughs> bus story. You just don't want to relive yeah. the smell. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we, we were on a bus going to Manhattan and Mags and I were chatting rather loudly, as we often want to do, yes. about inappropriate topics such as medication and side effects. <laughs> so we were chatting and the woman in the seat in front of us turned around and said, I'm on that same medication and I have that same Side effect, what do you do about it? And literally within 20 minutes, all the women on the bus were part of this conversation talking about different medications, different side effects, what works, what doesn't work. When we got off the bus, I said to Mags, can you believe how eager these women were to chat with perfect strangers about really personal things like anxiety and what medications they're on and what works and what doesn't work and mag said you know yeah because anxiety is so lonely and so isolating and we just want to feel like we belong somewhere that we are not alone and then she kind of announced to all of new york we're anxiety sisters and it stuck and we kind <sighs> of we, we took that term and said, okay, so now we're two of us. Let's see if we can grow this thing. And so now it, that was 2010 and now we have over 200,000 of us.
0: Oh, wow. That's a, that's amazing. I'm one of those women too, who like, if you're talking about something and I don't know you and it, 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 it's like, oh, I had that experience. I'll just jump right in. So mm-hmm. I love to hear that. The other thing you mentioned, and by now I'm just going to, you know, lift the veil everyone knows I'm already I'm talking about my daughter so she's super sensitive and empathic also and it seems like it goes with it doesn't it because it's 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 amazing how I just feel you know this that sensitivity and the one thing too and I'm sure that you hated when people would say oh you're so sensitive so I don't say that to her and I just want to put that out there don't say that to people who are sensitive it's not helpful
1: no but we do when we do workshops we do help people who are highly sensitive like we are it's the superpower in that,
0: really, yeah, that's nice. If you
1: think about it. If you are sensitive, then that you know that helps you. You you can be you can become a really expert connector. You can yeah, that's true. So so we kind of flip it because we consider that our strength, even though we are what would be considered an HSP in today's terminology. You know, we're highly sensitive and we're anxious and we're empathic and all those things. And yet, yeah, people telling us, you know, oh, stop being so sensitive was definitely an insult. But now we're kind of wearing it as a badge of honor and your daughter should too. Oh,
0: great- I love that. Well, thank you. And no, I, I really love looking at things in a different way. I love in the book too, you say anxiety is like bully base. If, <laughs> if you can expand on that.
1: Well, um, <laughs> well, like, you know, you know, you know what it is, but you wouldn't know how to make it right. right. I mean. You kind of have an idea of what it is, but it's, so we had this huge blowout argument about what was in bully base. And at one point I said to her, well, it's like anxiety, right? I mean, it's a whole big stew and there's certain things that you know about, right? Like the crusty, yummy bread. Everybody knows about that part. Cause that's the best part, clearly. So, you know, everybody knows, but like, what about like, what are the spices and how do you get that broth? You know, it's like all the thing. And, and anxiety is like that too. Well, yeah.
2: It's also it's it because there's so many different symptoms and there's so many different types of anxiety and presentations, but there are also so many different symptoms. So Abby and I are anxiety sisters and we quite understand each other, but Abby presents much more with obsessive compulsive disorder and and illness anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and I'm much more of a generalized anxiety disorder, panic and phobias. So You know, we have different types of anxiety, but we can really connect to each other.
1: And a lot of the symptoms, a lot of the feelings, like fear and dread, you know, and that that sense of doom, all of that, they tend to mesh and merge, right? So the symptoms of anxiety can change over time, and they can, so, you know, when I was younger, I had more cardiac symptoms. Now I notice I have more stomach symptoms. They definitely, things do change over time. So it is it is like base in that you probably, there's probably no set recipe, right? You probably do it oh, yeah. every time because it's a pinch of this and a pinch of that.
0: Yeah. You know, I was exposed to anxiety early. My best friend, your best friend's since like five. And then all of a sudden at 13, she stopped coming over mm-hmm. and then she stopped going to school and I was like, I don't know what's going on. And I remember her telling me that she was afraid to leave the house and it's called agoraphobia. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, but she had so much shame around it. Oh, um, yeah. I remember. And I think because I had a, my grandmother was bipolar and my mother had also had a bit of anxiety and some other stuff. I was sort of like, oh, it's almost like someone saying, oh, I have, you know, diabetes or something. So I was raised in a way that if you look at, and I know when we're going to jump into mental illness versus, you know, a brain disorder situation, but. It, in my family, it was sort of like, this is, it's all illness, right? Or there's mm-hmm. all things going yeah. on. Yes. And so I remember she wouldn't tell anybody. I was like, you should tell people because you, you dropped out of school. And if they knew, and she's like, no, 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 I can't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And she did end up getting help, going back to school, graduating on time, busting her butt. Um, she still has anxiety, but she travels and she's doing so much better. But it's that shame, right? And I was mm-hmm. curious about your take because you you say that, uh, you say, we refer to anxiety as a brain illness rather than a mental illness. And I was curious about that. That's that's such a great question,
2: um, I think. Yes. Um, because the thing about mental illness, um, there's nothing wrong with the term. It's not like we never use it. We don't have a problem with it. But um, we use brain illness because anxiety, you can see like when someone's having certain types of anxiety, you can see it on an MIRI. It's it's going on in the brain. Now, you're feeling the effects all over your body, right? But it's going on in the brain. And so a mental illness... It's like, where is mental? Yeah, yeah. It has this connotation of somehow being located, I don't know, somewhere else. And this is a brain illness, like much in the way, you know, if you break your leg, you know, that illness is on the leg. (laughs) You know, that is on the leg. This is something that's happening. And so we more do it as a way to get rid of some of that blame and shame because we're saying this is real. This is a real thing.
0: Yeah,
2: And it's not some like sort of, I don't know, nebulous thing,
1: right? Mental you know? feels very sort of, well, what is mental and where is mental? It's sort yeah. of like, it's, it's upward somewhere. Whereas brain illness tells you exactly where it is. It's and, and we can even be more specific. We can tell you that it's, you know, located partly in your amygdala and partly in your prefrontal. Cord. Like we can tell you right. where on the brain. And if we if I was having one of my famous panic attacks, and they slid me into an MRI, you'd be able to see on the MRI screen, parts of my brain lighting up where I was experiencing the the panic. So, you know, our, our desire is for people to understand it is not their fault. It is a disorder, not a decision.
0: Oh, absolutely. Okay. I was just, yeah, I just wanted to clarify. I was curious about that.
1: Problem with people using mental illness. Sometimes just, we
2: use it because yeah. it's the jargon. Yeah. Right. But, but we like to be specific so people know, oh, it's my
1: brain. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Well, you know, I did a book on uh, people who have invisible brain-based disorders or disabilities or differences, as my daughter and I call, like to call them. Yes. And it was a mix of people with learning differences. Henry Winkler was in the book. Yes. And uh, yeah. yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. And there was people with autism and there was people mm-hmm. with dyslexia and there's people with ADHD. And then there was people that had, you know, bipolar or depression or anxiety sharing their stories. And so it was interesting uh, you know whether you call it whatever you call it it's real that's for damn sure right right? yeah and that's what people need to know you know I like and I'm not going to go through all of them because I want people to get the book but you you have these great myths and you have eight of them and one of them I think is so important is myth four strong people don't have anxiety disorders Mm -hmm. you want to expand on that
1: some of the strongest people we know have anxiety disorders. Absolutely. Depression or bipolar disorder. I mean, you know, you can live very well with a brain illness if you manage it. It's much like any other condition. If you can live well with diabetes, if you manage it, you can live well with, with lots of things. And so, you know, that's, that's the point that we want to make is that, and by the way, I, I think that it takes a certain amount of strength to wake up every day and cope with. A condition, right? Because it's hard. It's really hard, and it can be debilitating at times. And so, people who wake up every day to fight again—they're the strongest people we know.
0: You know, another myth I thought was interesting is number six. Anxiety management techniques will always work if I'm doing them right. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, we we want
2: there to be a simple answer, right? All of us. We want like four steps that are fail-proof. You know, th- that's what sort of sells in our culture. And the thing that we say is um, one size doesn't fit all, right? So there's many different techniques. And one size may not even Fit us from one day to the next, as we well know. Um, but, um, you know, so that we we tell people, like, you really need a bag of, of techniques and big strategies. Big, you know, you need an arsenal because you're going to pull out something and one time it's going to work and another time it's going to do nothing for you. Um, and at different times of your life, different things will help you. So you really need it. You need an expansive strategy uh, bag of strategies and techniques
1: which is why we really do include hundreds of strategies it's in the book a lot of people have said oh my god there's so much in there and we've said yeah because you know just because breathing really helped on monday it might make you hyperventilate on tuesday so you right. need another strategy you need lots of backup
0: naturally savvy podcast is sponsored by morpheus for menopause Right, and this needs to be at the top of the list. I mean, really, the book is so incredible. You know, when I read this, I I have a friend who's going through this thing where she, when water hits her skin, she gets super itchy, Mm. and she's done all these tests, and no one can figure it out, and I'm convinced it's from trauma. I really, I have this whole, and it's not, there's science behind that, right? That, you know, trauma's going to come out in somewhere if you don't deal with it in one way or another... And I read this. uh, For the last several months, I've been breaking out in hives all over my chest and arms. There's no real reason that I can pinpoint. At first, I thought it was some kind of allergy, but it happened so randomly. So I've been going to the allergist, and now I'm on my second dermatologist. Nobody can find anything wrong. My GP thinks it's anxiety. It doesn't seem likely to me. I mean, how can a mental thing cause hives? It makes no sense. And I'm like, no, no, it totally makes sense.
1: (laughs)
2: and that's something we've heard from a lot of people it's it's whether it's a rash or you know the cardiac symptoms or the stomach symptoms or you know we always say like burping and farting or yawning or having to go pee all the time whatever the whatever the body can do um it's going to try to capture it's going to try to make say to you pay attention you know, and, and the thing is that I think for most of us, we see the mind and body separately still. I know we're always talking about this connection, right? But we really don't get it. We really don't get that it's not just a connection. It's one and the same. Yes. And so, of course, you know, we all know when we're in terrible pain, we can't think straight, right? When we're in emotional pain or anxiety, when we're in that brain pain, we have the symptoms come out physically yeah, and, and you know,
1: for lots of reasons um, we, we actually had a guest on one of our podcasts, uh, Dr. Bob Smith, who talked, he's a psychiatry professor and he talked about the origins of that split, that mind body split in Western culture. And it started back in the middle ages when the church, when medicine was just starting to come around, the church sort of said, all right, medicine, you guys can take care of the body, we'll, we'll keep the spirit and the mind. And so then there was this, this split between mind stuff and body stuff. And it really does us a disservice to think of them as separate, because that's when we become incredulous. And that's why I ended up in the ER 100 million times. <laughs> and one time, I thought I was having a heart attack. And, you know, I was in my 30s and was in decent shape and had no reason to believe I was having a heart attack other than the symptoms of that heartbeat and dizziness and left arm was all numb. And the doctor did the EKG and the enzyme test and said, you have not had a heart attack. And I said, do it again. You're missing something. Wow. That, and that incredulity can come from believing that, that something that's going on up here in your brain can't make something happen down here in your heart. But... It can and does. It's all one thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, my friend that I mentioned earlier, uh, when I, the one I grew up with, she would describe panic attacks to me, and they were just horrifying. Yeah. She's literally like, I feel like I'm literally going to die. Yes.
2: yes that, that's And that is... Them, that's a symptom of a panic attack. Is you feel like you're going to die. We we like we said somewhere in the book. You know we would rather clean the bathroom of a fraternity on a Sunday morning with yes. a toothbrush than go through another <laughs> panic attack because that is how they feel. Like whatever the physical symptoms, the ideas I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And you know it's it's horrendous. And and unfortunately, like Abby was saying. A lot of um, Western science still is not really caught up to that that mind body connection. I think the Eastern cultures um, didn't have that split between sort of the church and and medicine, and that's why they have a more of an integrated way of looking at things.
0: Yeah, I know it's it's very disheartening at times. You know, I've had a lot of doctors on and if, and. You know, don't get me started on the lack of nutrition <laughs> they get, you know, the ones that have done the research and have a more holistic approach will be like, yeah, we didn't learn anything. Maybe like two hours and it was wasn't even good information, you know. And I think the same thing of doctors who I talk to who have a more mind-body holistic connection also are like, we had to go out and do that. Right, That wasn't part of our, you know, of our schooling.
2: Yes, yes.
0: I want to talk about this. Labels are for genes, not anxiety. And you write labels are arbitrary. Labels ignore nuance. Labels are ascribed according to the dominant cultures model. I thought that was really interesting. I love labels because for me, it meant services for my daughter.
2: Mm. That is the purpose of them. And that's why we like them.
0: <laughs> yes. And that's what I thought was interesting because yeah. everything you're saying is true. Everything you said about labels is true. But at the same time... I find it has been very helpful because if she didn't have the labels, then she wouldn't get the IEP and then she wouldn't get the services, right? So talk to us a little bit about this.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt that labels can be very helpful um, in diagnosis. And the reason we wrote that chapter was not so much to lambast labels, but to sort of say, here are some of the maybe unwanted side effects of labels. And what you need to know so that you can take advantage of the system so it works for you and not get sort of stereotyped or pigeonholed due to the label because we're all right? Our culture labels everybody.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and I love too that you have ways to be your own advocate because that's something that my daughter's super good at and understand your diagnosis and what it means become familiar with the mental health lingo do not allow people to make assumptions about you based on your diagnosis and more and again people have to get the book I'm not going to read it all but I mean there's just seriously this book really is amazing I'm going to keep saying it because it's true it's just so thorough I mean I already skipped the part about the limbic system the prefrontal cortex neurotransmitters neuroplasticity the second brain (laughs) there's just so much we'll be here all day and I do want people to get the book so but go ahead we just want people to really under understand
2: that um when we talk about the science or even when we're talking about labels and we're really explaining what a label means because a lot of people get diagnosed with something they don't really know what it means you know and because no one explains it to them and so part of what this book does is we try to take um the science
1: and make it very accessible so that people can yeah, we, we should just confess right here that we barely passed high school chemistry. So it's
0: not like <laughs> science. Wants. I have to confess, I cheated in high school chemistry. <laughs> there goes all my listeners. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was so bad at it.
1: And, yes. and, as an, and as an adult, when I was doing research for this book, I took two courses in neuroscience from Harvard, you know, in their online program. And that was daunting. Um, I, bet, I bet. So I promise you, I promise that the neuroscience we present in the book is really accessible. We, we use really accessible language. Our cartoonist from over the, overseas, Simon, did a marvelous job um, you know, illustrating for us. And we just gave just enough science so that people could understand what's really going on in their bodies. It's important to know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I also like that you have generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, social anxiety disorder, uh, aka social phobia. Phobia is illness, anxiety disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder. So I know, I think people with all of these, and I think most of us do. Yes. We either have it or we know people who have it, just like that bus ride story. No,
2: absolutely. And um, a lot of of, um, things are what we call comorbid in the right, like world, you know, so that if you know someone with autism, or dyslexia, chances are, they may also have anxiety, you know, if you know, some, so the, many, many people, many women particularly have PTSD, many men too, but you know, many women have suffered from some kind of sexual abuse or physical abuse, And so, you know, none of these things are so separated. They're all sort of in one and together. And that's, kind of why we we talk about them parse them out a little
1: and we also and we encourage people to when they're thinking about their own struggles to don't don't worry so much about your label worry about which symptoms are keeping you from being in charge of your own life which are the symptoms that are most you know it's funny because i for years had been diagnosed with panic disorder because i had a lot of panic attacks and then When I was in my 40s, I went to a a new psychiatrist. who I still go to him. He's fantastic. And he listened to me and he said, you know, he said, the symptoms that I'm hearing that are really causing you problems are the obsessions and the compulsions that you're Mm -hmm. having around your health. That sounds to me like that's probably causing the panic. So he re-diagnosed me with obsessive compulsive disorder and illness anxiety disorder and treated me that way. And what's ironic is that the panic ended up going away because really OCD is my primary diagnosis. And I didn't know that till I was 46 years old. And I've been having obsessions and compulsions since I'm five.
0: Oh, wow. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of stuff is not caught. And, um, for all of us, we all, all, you know, Abby and I look back to our childhoods. We had different presentations, but both had anxiety disorder Mm. and, and, you know, people aren't screened for it, even when they're getting help. It's often not caught, often overlooked. Yeah. So, it is it's it is important to be like your daughter, to be an advocate for yourself.
0: Yes. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. Oh, go ahead. No, no, please. I was just going to say, you know, when my friend from childhood, she was extraordinarily and still is beautiful. And I remember when she went somewhere, she was waiting to get help. And one of the women's working there was like, how could you have any problems? You're so beautiful. And she's like, are you, what? Yeah, and it goes back to
2: this, you know, level of um, devaluing our girls in a lot of different ways. Yes, you know e- exactly. even though that sounds like a compliment. It, 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 it's not. It's it's you know devaluing how she was feeling. It does. It didn't matter.
1: And, and we talk in the book about the fact that women's bodies are sort of available for public consumption in a way that men's bodies are not is truly a source of anxiety in our culture. And now, you know, they're talking a lot about it on social media, but you know, it's the fact that that's women's bodies are something that is part of the public conversation from a very young age. And we all yeah, that's have those true. experiences. And, yeah. th- and I think it's really hard to navigate, especially now with social media. Oh, I mean, I'm so
0: oh, grateful. such a disaster.
1: I'm so grateful there wasn't any Instagram when I was younger, because I think that would have just made my anxiety go through the roof.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. And it's like that
2: time of getting into puberty and it, and like your friend experience, like the most important thing is how you look, you know. And, and it's and, peer acceptance and how yeah, you well, get that. Even yeah. they were getting it from an adult, you mm-hmm. know, like, and had she been, what does that mean? Like, had she been a kid who wasn't beautiful or a teenager who wasn't beautiful? Was she allowed to have bad feelings then? You know, like how Correlated, so right. a lot of it for women is this sort of very public um, perception of you know and, and
1: commentary there's, and there's intense pressures around that for young people and then also for middle-aged women. Oh yeah, we definitely experience it in a different way. So you know, it's it's a societal cause of anxiety for sure.
0: Oh, completely. Yeah, I'm always like, "What's what's going on over here? What's what is this mush?"
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Oh, that's yep. okay. That's, and we're that's and we're told to embrace it.
0: Yeah. No, we're not. But we should. <laughs> yes, embrace the mush. You know, I I love in the book too when you talk about how did this happen, and you say anxiety is sel- seldom caused by one thing. And you again, I'll just list a few: genetics, gender, uh, medication, hormones, pregnancy. And this one, I, I, I just thought this was so, I love the way you write. You say sugar, confession. We cried when we wrote this part, <laughs> which, which tells you that sugar story. and anxiety are not a winning combo.
2: Yeah. Still struggling. Still, yeah. Still struggling. Yeah, but one of the really important things is, you know, we don't know exactly for each person why they have anxiety, right? There's so many different reasons. But one of the things that we really tried to do in the book is say, no matter the reason, Um, we don't want the answers to be overly prescriptive about what you should be doing because, you know, what a woman face all the time, what we should be eating, what we, and there's nothing wrong with talking about nutrition, but um, when someone is having anxiety disorder, sometimes they can't eat at all. Sometimes they can't stop eating and, and we just, we don't want to be another place of shoulds. You should be doing this.
1: You should be doing that. Um, it just leads to some more shame, which with brain illness is such a big piece of it. And we've always said you can learn to live really happily with anxiety, but not with blame and shame. That's the part that has to be fixed. We cannot, we do not, we don't need to be shamed for our brain dysfunction. That's not, that's not a fair thing. And for what we can
2: and can't do
1: at different times during our brain dysfunction. You know, know? self-compassion is huge with us. I mean, that has been a life-changing practice. And, um, you know, we we, we got to train with Kristen Neff, which was such...
0: Oh, I love her. Yeah, I've had her on the show. She's great. Yeah, Yeah.
1: she's amazing. And we trained with her twice, actually. And she, um, you know, she really changed our lives in terms of giving us a paradigm from which to accept who we are in all of its messiness. You know, we always say anxiety doesn't make you broken. It makes you human with all of the messiness that humanity entails.
0: And it is very messy. Yes. Especially these days. Yes, (laughs) definitely. Speaking of that, that brings me right into uh, systemic racism, we do a show uh, called Active Allyship. is more than a hashtag. I co-created and co-host with uh, a woman named Sunny, who's a black woman. And we go deep and we go hard and we go into oh, this. I heard that we... show. I've listened to your show. Have you? Yes. Yes. Oh my God. That makes me so happy. Yeah. We've had some incredible people on. As a matter of fact, I'd love to have you two on. I think this is so important. Just mm-hmm. the fact that you bring this up. And I love that you shared this from Deja, 56. I'm a physician and live in Boston, but I still get followed in stores. When I walk into a room at the hospital, people still express surprise that I'm the doctor. I constantly deal with these assumptions about who I am and how capable I am. I always have to prove myself. It's exhausting. So we already
1: covered the fact that as a woman, there's extra anxiety caused by society because of the, you know, the, the, the male gaze on the female body, let's just say, or whatever, And then on top of that, if you're a person of color, then you have that anxiety caused by all of the the stuff that comes with that. I mean, it's excruciating.
2: Yeah. And and the the, um, history of racism has perpetrated so many areas of our life, so things like housing and
0: oh absolutely
2: so you know we're not all starting sort of at the same on the same base right. and um you know people people are often expected to overcome unbelievable amounts of difficulties all of them we know poverty and anxiety are connected like 100 percent. you know that's the, we know racism and anxiety are connected. All of those things, you know, it's hard to not, it's, it's very understandable to be anxious when you are worried about where you're going to live or how safe that place is or whether you can take your child to the doctor.
0: Or just walking down the street. Walking right.
2: down the street. Your child driving, you know, it's like we both have boys who learning to drive or learn to drive and it's like, and you know, all of us as parents have anxiety. Um, right when our when our children start driving, you know, I said to my son, "You know, I, I don't know what I would do if if I was also worried that you know if you were a black child, and that was another
1: whole worry about you."
0: Oh yeah, it's horrible.
1: My anxiety would be through the roof. We we were both profoundly affected by Isabel Wilkerson's work, Cast. That we we mentioned that in our book. We think that's something everyone should read. It's just you know it's talking about racism not even just being systemic, but uh, but actually being a, a hierarchy in the society. And that makes sense with the anxiety piece, too. Mm-hmm.
0: You write, the effects of unmanaged anxiety are disastrous and far-reaching. Shame, hypersensitivity, depression, motivation and performance, shrinking worlds syndrome, agoraphobia, anxiety contagion. What is, for people who don't know, shrinking world syndrome?
2: Well, that's sort of our term um, for, not quite agoraphobia, um, but it's our term for when anxiety is deciding where you go, who you see, what you do, your world, your the opportunities get smaller. So yesterday someone was telling me that, you know, her phobia of driving, which is a phobia that I used to share with her, meant that she hasn't gone to visit the big cities near her. She's living in a new place and she hasn't gone out to do that and it's something she really wants to do. But the idea of driving two hours there is just too overwhelming for her. So she says, okay, I can live without it. You know, but but really what's happening is her world is smaller, not just physically, but also emotionally, also the opportunity wise. And we've certainly lived with that at times, you know, in our anxiety. And that one of the best parts of managing our anxiety has been how much bigger our
1: worlds have gotten. Yeah. I mean, we both we both at different points in our anxiety journeys were fairly agoraphobic, meaning that we really didn't stray that far from home. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and there was a time when, I mean, I wouldn't fly for 10 years. So I missed being the maid of honor at someone's wedding in California because I lived in Florida. I missed lots of family events that I'll never get back. Uh, I missed a lot of career opportunities that would have required travel you know the list goes on and on and i you know at some point my world was basically my sofa my bathroom and you know the the, the neighborhood grocery store that i could walk to
2: yeah abby always tell abby always says like i have a famous u turn story oh. which is um i was actually another wedding I was going to um a wedding I was living in New York City going to a wedding in Boston and I have and I really had such a severe driving phobia Abby almost kicked me out of the car on her wedding day let me say but I have such a severe driving phobia I had such a severe driving phobia that I kept saying to um my husband uh, I, I think I have the stomach flu. I have the stomach flu. I, I don't know that I can keep going. And, you know, he said, Oh, you have the stomach flu. Okay, let, let's turn around. And we made a U turn to go back home. And the second we were literally five minutes sort of starting to go back home, my stomach flu, quote unquote, went away. Um, oh, Into the friendship. Yes, yeah, so that friendship. <laughs> oh, no. But, wedding. And I I have to say, not blaming my friend, I really didn't have the words to explain what was going on to her at that time.
0: You know, right.
2: So that, you know, she was like, well, my $300 plate wedding, the two of you didn't show up. And I didn't have the words to, I said I was sick, but I didn't have the words to really explain the full extent of what was happening because I think she would have understood, but I didn't have the right vocabulary. But that shrinking world syndrome, that's like this world
1: that you can't access. It's out there, but you can't fully enjoy or access. Yes. I mean, the way to live happily with anxiety is that you continue to be in the driver's seat, not the anxiety. I still wake up many mornings with anxiety, but my commentary is, oh, you're here? Fine, but you're not driving.
0: And that brings us right into all the great things that you have in your book that you can do. Although I do want to go back to one thing. I hadn't thought about this in years. You know, I was telling that story about my friend from childhood. I forgot the reason that she finally told me, and it's because we There was three of us, three best friends, And it was my fifteenth birthday, and we went to um round table <laughs> <Woo-hoo>! <laughs> pizza. And she didn't come, yeah. And I was so upset. And I remember it was because of that. She was like, "I didn't know how to tell you
2: yeah. and and I think that we hear all the time from anxiety sisters who, you know, have lost touch with friends or cut you know, lost touch with family members, even because they, can't get out and they feel like such a burden like they yeah. feel like they are such a burden to everyone around them so you know i they've slowly isolated more and more and more and it's you know it's it's devastating it's a devastating part of this illness
0: yeah it really is and that's why we have to talk about it and have to get rid of that shame around it right. Right.
2: we have to have the vocabulary and the language that we all can sort of understand right
0: yeah, I think so, too. All right, so in Chapter 7, Riding the Wave, give us that analogy. I like how you start that chapter. The Riptide?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so for people who aren't from Florida, um, Riptide is one of those rogue currents that kind of drags you out to sea. It's not a regular current. It's really strong, and it pulls you away from land. So if you get caught in this rip current, you're, you will no matter what you do, you're going to get pulled out to sea. And what happens is a lot of people drown in a rip current because their instinct is to fight it and to try to go to shore anyway. And the thing is, you could be Michael Phelps and you wouldn't be able to beat a rip current. He'll tell you that himself. It's not not possible. So we think of anxiety, particularly acute anxiety or panic, as very much like a rip current. Your first thought is, oh my god, this is so awful. I've got to make it stop. I have to end this. I have to eliminate it. And you start fighting it. And of course, as soon as you start fighting it, it gets worse and it pulls you out even further. And the way you get out of a riptide in the ocean is you start swimming parallel to shore. So you won't be get you won't be pulled out to sea. You'll just sort of be in this parallel drift. Eventually the current will release you. You just kind of have to ride it out. And we say the same thing is true for anxiety. You, you have to sort of sit with it until it lets you go. And it will, it's going to let you go. It doesn't seem like it's going to let you go. And for some people it takes longer than others, but it definitely, like every other human sensation and emotion, it will end. So our idea is we have to learn how to ride this wave. And we're not advocating, all right, just sit there and panic because that's excruciating and that's mean. <laughs> Nobody can do that. <laughs> so we have actual things you can do to ride the wave. We have you know techniques to help you do that so that you're not focused on what you're going through. But the key is to not fight it because like a rip current, you can't win.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what we pay attention to grows, mm-hmm. so the more sort of attention we give it, the more we allow it to take to decide what we do and where we go, and make our decisions, yeah. the more it will grow. Um, you can't fight it, and you, you just can't give it you can't give it like control over the situation, yeah
0: yeah, and you have three things: expect, accept, and be kind mm-hmm.
1: yes, yes because we believe in prepping for panic.
0: <laughs> I love that. that's a great expression prepping for panic. That's true.
1: I'll tell you something that's that I mean this was life changing for me when I figured this part out. One of the things that makes panic so horrifying is that it seems to sneak up on you. Right? The first thought yeah. you have when you're having any kind of a panic attack or we call it a, a spinning session when you're having a spin is you're like why is this happening? I was just in the grocery store, I'm minding my own business. Why am I suddenly feeling like I can't breathe? What's going on? This must be something wrong with my heart or my lungs or something. I must have a tumor, right? That's because it surprises you. If you prepare for your panic, and we have all kinds of techniques to do that. So if you, let's say, carry a spin kit, which is a first aid kit for anxiety with you wherever you go, you do this, you are ready for it. So when it shows up, you're not, the first thing you do is not going to be thinking, well, how did this happen? Why am I having this anxiety? You're prepared for it. You're expecting it to show up at some point. And that takes away so much of its power. And it really, when I started recognizing that it was like a 50% reduction in intensity overnight because the, the element of surprise isn't there.
0: Wow. Well, tell us about this kit. What is in the spin kit?
1: So basically, as Abby
2: said, the spin kit is a first aid kit for Anxiety, just like someone with a terrible allergy would carry an EpiPen, we suggest Anxiety Sisters carry a spin kit to be ready. Um, So what we want in our spin kit is something that helps soothe our senses. Um, So um, for me, that's often, I like the smell of lavender. So that's often lavender essential oil Um, for other people. They might have headphones because they want something to cancel the noise or they may listen to music. Someone might have lotion or something to touch, you know, like a worry stone. We want something to distract us just to help us get through you know, not to stop the anxiety, but to help us get through. So for me, I, I often carry like a little crochet project with me. Other people have fidget spinners or abs likes to have a picture of her cats because she looks at them and feels good. And, mm. and, um,
1: although if mad with the pictures of my cats it would make her panic.
2: Yes. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but um, And then, and then we want to have some symptom relief. Um, because with Uh, a lot of anxiety. You know, I have stomach symptoms. Another person may get itchy and need symptom release for that. So, you know, uh, other people may have a little bit of a, um, a sedative or something with them, depending on what your symptoms look like. So basically you have these three components and you put it in a little bag and you have it with you. And it's also, it's that expecting and then it's that accepting. Like, okay, I know what's happening. I'm not not having a heart attack. I don't have the stomach flu. You know, I know that this is anxiety. So I have these things to help me get through. I'm not going to stop it. But I have this
1: toolkit and it's going to help me move through this. And psychologically, it just takes away all the punch of surprise because you're like, I've got my spin kit right here. Thank
0: goodness! That is you know? brilliant,
2: and it, and it's a way not to fight things because yeah. you're like, okay, let me take out my crochet, you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna work on this, so I'm not gonna concentrate
1: on how do I stop this anxiety. Right. Just I'm gonna, gonna give work. yourself something else to do while you're waiting for the wave to pass, while you're waiting for the riptide to let you go.
0: Yeah, I, that's so smart. I lo- I want to talk a little bit about the inner critic voice and the inner advocate voice.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Anxiety Sisters are really good inner critics, aren't we? Oh,
0: no, yeah. <laughs>
1: we're really good at blaming and shaming ourselves and talking about how, how badly we're handling everything and making us just really beating ourselves up. So part of Be Kind, which is our third step in the Ride the Wave uh, process is to be compassionate and kind with yourself and to be your own advocate inside. Talk to yourself the way you would a dear friend or even a child who's going through some sort of struggle. I mean, you wouldn't yell at a 12-year-old is going through anxiety, right? I mean, that would not be soothing. <laughs> so, and, and what people don't know, Mags always reminds me to, 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 of this, that when people yell at themselves or berate themselves, it actually activates the fight or flight. So you're going to put yourself in even more anxiety the more you berate yourself and the more you criticize yourself. So the antidote to that would be to be your own inner advocate and to be kind to yourself and compassionate and speak to yourself in a kind and supportive and nonjudgmental way. Abby um, is a former professor
2: of communications. So one of the things she's always told me is um, the, the voice we our brain reacts to the most is our own. Yes that's been shown by, by a lot of research so that how we speak to ourselves really matters. And, you know, for, for some of us, it's, uh, um, reassuring ourselves. Like "I, I feel really terrible right now, but this too shall pass or I'm okay. Um, or reminding ourselves, let me breathe in, breathe out. But but doing so very sooth- in a very soothing way because what we want to have happen is we want to be able to use our frontal lobe. That's where like, all our decision-making happens and our executive functioning and our problem-solving. If we're in fight or flight, we are not using our frontal lobe. We can't use them both. So we want to calm ourselves down enough to kind of take stock of the situation and figure out how to get ourselves, move ourselves through it. And speaking to yourself
1: kindly, even just being reassuring and saying, you know, oh gosh, this is really hard. I'm really struggling right now. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm feeling a lot of compassion for myself because I'm struggling And and it's human to struggle. We all struggle at different times and at different levels, but it's a human thing.
0: Yeah, it, it's so true. Mm-hmm. I love too that you have a lot of different breathing. You have incremental breathing, four, seven, eight breathing, imagery breathing, alter, alternate nostril breathing, and then you talk about meditation and visualization and, and mm-hmm. serene scenes. Uh, I also like that you have um, something that I, I actually use for myself. I, I take edibles, um, not a lot, but yeah. they yeah. I, I find them incredible. As a matter of fact, my psychologist is the one who recommended it. He's like, you know, there's a dispensary three miles. This was before COVID, up the street from my office. And I was like, Oh, okay. You know, I hadn't thought about that. And wow, that really, when it's, I like the, um, like the 50, 50, the CBD and the THC. Yes, yeah. You have to be careful. Cause like when I first started taking them, I took too much yeah, and I yeah. was just laughing hysterically, which honestly was a great, is a great way to relieve anxiety, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I want to be functional. So now I've got it where I can just take it and just feel a little lighter, mm-hmm. a little more relaxed. My muscles, feel, you know, it's just, it's amazing. They have some, you know, yeah, I mean, we
2: believe anything that can help. Um, is worth it. And, you know, so some people that might be edible, some people that might be breathing, um, you know, there's, there's so many different things that we have in our book, but we're like, we are not advocating or against any one thing, right? you know, and that, that was so important to us because when we were looking for anxiety books, when we were at our worst, um, you know, everyone had their particular philosophy of what we should and shouldn't be doing, and we just said, "Yeah, no, no shoulds here." Right. Um,
1: and we, as long as you're not hurting someone else, then whatever you need to do to take care of yourself and put your put your anxiety in the back seat and not as a, in the driver's seat, that's what we want you to do. And you know, for some folks, there's been amazing anecdotal evidence about can, uh, cannabinoids. Is that mm-hmm. how you pronounce? Never pronounce it right. Cannabinoid. I know. It's a hard word to yeah, say. But, I mean, it, it, there's tr- there's tremendous anecdotal evidence and some scientific evidence. I mean, there's problems with research because of the patents and all that kind of stuff. But but there is a lot of hope for the use of CBD and, and THC to manage anxiety. Absolutely. Yeah. So, thank you very much for bringing that up.
0: I really- sure. Well, I like, too, that you you mentioned psychedelics. And I just did an interview with a doctor from UCSF and I mean, uh, there's some very highly reputable places like that around the country where they're doing this uh, to help depression and anxiety and
1: and, we're going to, we're going to go to a clinic and under supervision, we're going to do it and report back to the, the
0: Oh good. Oh, you have to come back. Yeah. I want to do it too. I I think it would be so interesting and I've heard such positive things uh, through different things, you know, things I've listened to different, talking to that doctor and some others. That you know, again, it's it's it, you're not just going up in the woods and taking mushrooms. So
1: we would be supervised medically, but yeah, we, exactly. You know, but we really believe that um, you know, uh, we've interviewed a lot of people who are involved in this in in the movement to use psychedelics um, to manage anxiety, depression too. I mean, yeah, as exciting as it is for anxiety, it's more exciting for depression.
0: Yeah, that's what I yeah
2: PTSD and PTSD
1: for
0: yes. people
2: with chronic illnesses. Um, someone was telling us recently an anxiety sister that she's she's always um she was born with some fairly severe health complications and the and so that brought a lot of anxiety because she was in and out of the hospital many times as a child and still as a young adult and the thing that helped her most was the psychedelics uh, really changed her assessment of herself and how Mm -hmm. she saw things and we you know, we think it's
1: terrific. We think it's yeah like, we're gonna try it. and you know, we'll report back to you. We'll let you know we're gonna we're gonna write about it and talk about it, and of course, film each other so that we can be as honest as humanly possible.
0: <laughs> Woohoo, Well, I'm excited. Let's talk about just medications in general. You know you've got benzo ben benzodiazepines, which are benzo selective ssri <laughs> yeah you've got abuse, uh, parone, beta blockers antihistamines uh and i think it's good you you ask do i need medication you have questions to ask your doctor and again you know it's funny because sometimes you know people think oh you're you know super crunchy and you're you know eat all whole foods and everything it's like yeah but i'm totally pro medication mm. like if, if you need it and it works and it's good for you you know it, it's made a huge difference in people that i know in their lives
1: we, so we huh. believe that it's part of the anxiety sisters toolkit okay so for some people that i mean including me and max medication is a big part of our anxiety management plan um but you know it comes with its own set of issues and we talk about them very openly in the book you know there's a lot of side effects and stuff like that and so it's a very personal decision for some people it's not part of their anxiety treatment plan and 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 that's great we are not pro-pharma we are anti-anxiety running your life
0: Exactly. Well, that's what I like. Like there is not like you said earlier, it's not a judgy thing. I'm like, oh, don't do this or try this. or No, this is where it's at. This is what you can do. These are things to think about and it's up to you. We think like the important thing with medication,
2: and we have to say that that they're not always side effects. Sometimes they're front and center yes. effects as we say, <laughs> but we think that the important thing with medication is that most of the people we speak to go to the doctor and, you know, get some medication and often they don't really understand what medication they're taking. They sometimes don't, you know, the doctors haven't stopped to tell them like this what you can and can't do with this medication or this is the dose. So we do have questions to ask your prescriber um, because we, we feel like Doctors, we expect them to tell us all these things we need to know. But in our experience, that's the exception and not the rule. So,
1: and especially as a lot of people get their meds from their internist, and not, and not a lot of internists are specialists in anxiety medication that's just the truth. There are some that are. And and by the way, there's some great nurse practitioners who specialize in that. There's psychopharmacologists. I mean, you know, your pharmacist is a goldmine of information. So there's a lot of people who can help you. But like any other treatment plan, you want to research it and want to find out if it's right for you.
2: Right. And you want to know what you're taking and
1: and, and why. why
2: you want to know why you're taking yeah. that
1: particular medication
2: for something else and a lot of times we know um access to psychiatric services in this country mm. is poor awful. to say the least
0: um oh, yeah. and it's expensive as hell and our insurance doesn't cover it right
1: exactly so, either designed. it's so sp- it's that split right the mind belongs to one thing. The body belongs to something else.
0: Right,
2: right. It, my insurance doesn't cover it either, so it it becomes very, very difficult. And so we're not saying, oh, don't get medication from your internist because we know a lot of people don't have a don't have another option, including me at times. Um, but um, we're just saying, you know, have some questions. Be to informed. Ask. Be informed. And at, our book has a list. list. Yeah, Our book has a checklist that you can take with you. And that's why we really explained all the different medications.
0: And I guess to be clear, our insurance covers the medication. We have a copay, but the psychiatrist herself? No, No. we get it.
1: We get get it. it. Uh, psychiatrists are so prohibitively expensive, really. and, And in parts
2: of the country, there just are none. Many counties of this country don't have any psychiatrists. None. Zippo. So, yeah
0: the problem. Oh, my God. It is so crazy. There is so much we didn't talk about in the book. There, It's just so incredible. I just have to commend you, and I'm not at all surprised you have a big community. You're both incredible, and what you've done to help people with anxiety is amazing. Is there anything you wanted to add before we close? And I definitely want to have you back. I, I think there's still so much more to talk about. Yeah, thank you're you. are wonderful. Yeah, you've made us feel really, really good.
2: Yeah. yeah. yeah you're the, oh, good. You're the, I think you're the anxiety antidote, you know. Because Antis- antidote. Yeah, because you're very, uh, very comforting.
1: Yes, you are. You have
2: a very soothing voice.
0: Yes. Oh, wow. That's so. So sweet. we'll prescribe
2: listening to your podcast.
0: Yeah. Of- Yay. One hundred percent for yes. sure. Yes. And I'm still so happy that you listen to Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. Yeah. Keep going back. Tell all your friends. It's yes. Fun. Well, it's such important work, and we really commend you. Yeah. And we oh, just thank you. Want to tell people um, you're I not alone. That. Before
2: and leave. You're not alone. Um, Whatever you're feeling or experiencing or thinking, we promise you that you are unique, but your anxiety is
1: not. So, you know, always feel free to reach out to us. Our community will always be free anxiety sisters.com join. You can just lurk on our Facebook page and see how supportive and generous and kind everyone is. And by the way, just so you know, anxiety sisters is for all genders. <laughs> we, we say sisters because it's more catchy than anxiety community, but that's our experience, but really it's anyone of any gender with any amount of anxiety. Right.
0: Wow. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This was great. Oh, thank, thank you for you. having us. We really love being here. Yes.